It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 94, King David and the Spirit of Breakthrough After the capture of Jerusalem, David cast out all but a few of the Jebusites and builds up Jerusalem into his royal capital. Here is Josephus' account. Now when he had chosen Jerusalem to be his royal city, his affairs did more and more prosper by the providence of God, who took care that they should improve and be augmented. Hiram, also the king of the Tyranians, sent ambassadors to him and made a league of mutual friendship and assistance with him. He also sent him presents, cedar trees, mechanics, and men skillful in building and architecture, that he might build him a royal palace in Jerusalem. Now David made buildings round about the lower city. He also joined the citadel to it and made it one body. And when he had encompassed all with walls, he appointed Joab to take care of them. It was David, therefore, who first cast the Jebusites out of Jerusalem and called it by his own name, the city of David. For under our forefather, Abraham, it was called Salem. Josephus continues, I shall now, this is Josephus still, Make mention of Arunia, who was a wealthy man among the Jebusites, but was not slain by David in the siege of Jerusalem because of the good will he bore to the Hebrews, and a particular benignity and affection which he had to the king himself, which I shall make a more seasonable opportunity to speak of a little afterwards. So as you can tell, David's getting settled into his new home with the palace, Let's make note here that David makes a pledge of mutual friendship and assistance with Tyre. It doesn't appear to be a formal allowance, but we have to remember even peace treaties can cause problems, such as with Joshua and the Gibeonites. From one perspective, how wonderful that Israel has a friend out there in this huge rough world, and clearly God was using this friendship to bless Israel and build David a palace of cedar. But from another perspective... David needs to be aware of that famous saying that would be uttered later, beware of the Greeks when they bring gifts. The Tyranians were not Greeks, of course, and not even enemies, but there is danger in getting too close to non-believing nations, as we will see later with Solomon. All right, so let's give a little timeline and release some demographics before David's kingship gets ahead of us. David's got over 300,000 men at his disposal, according to the book of Chronicles. These are not prime professional soldiers. No, this is the number of fighting male population of Israel at the time. If we count men and multiply it times five for women and children, David is the king of a country between 1.5 to 2 million souls. From this population, we will see an astronomical population boom only consistent with the golden age of a civilization which will be in full fruition with King Solomon. At this historic moment, with a population around 1.5 to 2 million compared to today, Israel is in population compared to modern-day Gambia with 1.9 million, Bahrain with 1.3 million, Estonia with 1.2, Mauritius with 1.3, and Cyprus with 1.2 million. 
So if you've ever been in one of these countries recently, the population base could be a reference for you. The 300,000 or more fighting age men constituted his National Guard or militia. He couldn't call upon these men too often because they were required to be with their families and tend to the farms, and there was tremendous economic sacrifice if he pulled them from their farms during harvest season. David appears to have a standing army of 30,000 troops for the time being. Now, these 30,000 troops probably had dual administrative and soldierly roles. With the unity of the kingdom and the surplus of military spoils and tribute and commercial income, this standing army and administrative corps will surely grow. David will be king for 30 years from this point forward, and nearly every single year, at least at the beginning of his reign, there will be a military campaign in the spring and summer months. In fact, it is when David should be out with his men on campaign that he makes his most disastrous mistake. I imagine David takes Jerusalem in the fall and builds up Jerusalem through the winter and to the great alarm of the Philistines who were the superior power in the region, at least in their eyes. In the spring, the Philistines marched with their army in the most direct yet foolish route through the valley of Rephaim. According to the book, Battles of the Bible by Herzog and Gishon, the valley of Rephaim was a terrible place to advance on Jerusalem with its steep slopes and defiles. This implication makes the valley of Rephaim the perfect place for an ambush, with only showed the arrogance and overconfidence of the Philistines who previously crushed the Israelites at Gilboa. They quickly wanted to advance on David and destroy his kingdom, but God had different plans. 2 Samuel 5.17 When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. you got to love David's obedience to God. So check this out. The Philistines hoped to crush the United Kingdom of Israel. But David, in his first set-piece battle as king of Israel, the anointed one of Israel, would in this very place avenge the death of Saul and Jonathan, and achieve the breakthrough which leads to the full defeat of the Philistines. 2 Samuel 5.20 So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, the Lord is broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. So we've got a park here. Baal Perazim means the Lord of the Breaks. There is so much significance to this. The implication here is the Lord of the Breakthrough, like water through a dam. Physically, water always flows through the path of least resistance. I picture this battle as a front-on assault with David in the lead of the mighty men, Possibly the Philistines were light in their center, concerned about a flanking move in the horribly craggy terrain of Rephaim. Regardless, David's men went straight through them. It appears there is a supernatural element with David's beautiful faith and dependence upon God in battle. 
God went ahead of Israel's army and bound up the spiritual elements of the Philistines and caused a panic to hit them before David's army even attacked. With the spiritual battle won, David just routed the Philistines and captured their idols. This would have been monumental, like when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. The most valuable and priceless objects of the Philistines were captured that day on the field of battle. And make no mistake about it, David melted down these precious objects and didn't fail to learn the mistakes of history. None of the major Philistine idols survived that day, and with David's sole devotion to God, the dark spiritual power of the Philistines was broken on this very day. Josephus and the book of Chronicles confirm what David did after he hauled off the idols. First Chronicles 14.12 The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them in the fire. What Samson started, David achieved on this very day with a breakthrough over the Philistines. Full victory will come later. Our God is the Lord of the breakthrough. Isn't that appropriate? Consider the concept of a military breakthrough. It's not a complete military triumph, but a breakthrough that leads to the final victory. Need a comparison? Militarily? Think of the Germans in World War II when the Panzers went through the Ardennes in 1940. They broke through the Allied lines and raced to the Atlantic Ocean, cutting off hundreds of thousands of Allied troops and led to the fall of France. David led Israel's armies on a breakthrough, which crushed the spiritual power of his enemies and pushed them back to their homelands. Abel Perazim, the lord of the breakthrough, gave David the breakthrough he needed to eventually completely defeat the Philistines. It appears this spring battle was followed up with a second attempt by the Philistines in the same year in the fall. 2 Samuel 5.22 Once more the Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because they will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. I mean, what an awesome strategy, a flanking move through the forest of Rephaim. The Philistines probably never saw it coming. With their spiritual power broken, this second attempt, with probably more men, this time pulling from the Philistine home guard, was met with disaster. For even heavenly armies were ahead of David's army, for there was a sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees. There's another aspect to the battle. These battles occurred in the same place, but God had a different strategy for each battle. Isn't God original? He never seems to do the same thing twice. It's never the same way. Consider it from this perspective. Has a move of God or the move of the Holy Spirit ever been the same? I mean, look through revival history and church history and moves of God. They always come in a different way. He's so original. In God's leading, he has infinite abilities and possibilities, and he always keeps us guessing. As much as we learn in wisdom and history and the ways of God, it should not be surprised that he answers prayers in the ways we never expect. So back to Baal Perazim. After this battle, David has military superiority over the Philistines. He pushed back their borders and established military bases further into Philistia. But the conflict is not over. 
The wars continue. For a little taste of the endless conflict, check out 2 Samuel 21:15 and the death of the other Philistine giants. It lists their deaths, each occurring in different battles. But it is these two main battles that asserted David's superiority and authority over the Philistines. We just covered these two battles, but Josephus' account is so good, and their mention of tens of thousands slain and many other nations like Syria involved in this battle, and the destruction of the idols that I have to read. Here's Josephus' account of these two battles. When the Philistines understood that David was made king of the Hebrews, they made war against him at Jerusalem. And when they had seized upon that valley, which is called the Valley of the Giants, and is a place not far from the city, they pitched their camp therein. But the king of the Jews, who never permitting himself to do anything without prophecy and the command of God and without depending on him as security for the time to come, bade the high priest to foretell to him what was the will of God and what would be the event of this battle. And when he foretold that he should gain the victory and the dominion, he led out his army against the Philistines. And when the battle was joined, he came himself behind and fell upon the enemy all of a sudden and slew some of them and put the rest to flight. And let not one suppose that this was a small army of the Philistines that came against the Hebrews, as guessing so from the suddenness of their defeat, and from their having performed no great action, or that was worth recording from the slowness of their march and one of courage. But let him know that all Syria and Phoenicia, with many other nations beside them, and those warlike nations also came to their assistance and had a share in this war. Which thing was the only cause why, when they had been so often conquered and had lost so many tens of thousands of their men, that they still came upon the Hebrews with great armies? Nay, indeed, when they had so often failed of their very purpose in these battles, they came upon David with an army three times as numerous as before, and pitched their camp, and on the same spot of ground before." The king of Israel therefore inquired of God again concerning the event of the battle, and the high priest prophesied to him that he should keep his army in the groves, called the groves of weeping, which were not far from the enemy camp, and that he should not move nor begin to fight till the trees of the grove should be in motion with the winds blowing. But as soon as these trees moved, and the time foretold to him by God was come, he should, without delay, go out to gain what was an already prepared and evident victory, for the several ranks of the enemy's army did not sustain him, but retreated at the first onset, whom he closely followed, and slew them as he went along and pursued them to the city Gaza. And this he spoiled their camp, in which he found great riches, and destroyed their gods. Sometimes Josephus just nails it. David did nothing without prophecy. That's cool. And what about Syria already getting involved? Syria will also be referred to as the Arameans. And we will see later that the Arameans will give David one of its greatest foreign military scares. And I just love how it ends. He destroyed their gods. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings... We have to just say it again that our God is the Lord of the breakthrough. The battle at Baal Perazim is such a picture of freedom. It's not just a battle, it's a destruction of idols. Baal Perazim, where idols are burned in the fire. Turning this episode into a personal application. Do you have idols in your life? 
Do you feel like you've been a slave to sin? Do you feel imprisoned and helpless to the temptations of man? If so, you need a breakthrough. Put on your spiritual armor and walk out into the field of battle. Make your face like flint so that you will never go back to the old way of life. And call upon our God, the Lord of the breakthrough, and he will go ahead of you and tear down strongholds and take the field and win the spiritual and emotional battle for you. Your role will be to advance against your idols, seize them, carry them away from dark empowerment, burn them in the fire, and destroy them forever. Sometimes we struggle too much and fail to recognize our battle is not against flesh and blood, but dark spiritual powers. When we are in need, and when we can't seem to get free, put on your armor and face your enemy, and march into battle and call upon the Lord of the breakthrough, and be like David, who refused all temptation of these idols. All the evils and voices of these idols could not deter him, for he burned them in the fire and destroyed them. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we cover the Tabernacle of David and David's taste of the new covenant. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.